Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you all. It is, uh, it is good to be here in worship. Thank you, Tyler, and our worship team for leading us. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to two passages I want to use today. Uh, the first is Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Read a couple verses, verse 1 through 4, and then Romans 8. I'm going to read the end of Romans 8, starting with verse 31, into chapter 9, verse 3. But a little bit of background. Last week we finished a series on prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And next week we're going to start a series uh, for Lent uh, that's actually on the seven deadly sins. Uh, y'all heard seven deadly sins before? You know. Kind of all have them, pride, greed, lust. Uh, I did a series on that several uh, years ago, so excited to pick it back up. Anyway, calling the series Eight Blessings for Seven Sins, and we'll be in it every week leading up to Easter. But today is uh, what we call uh, just standalone uh, sermons, and I, uh, I thought a lot about it over the trip. Uh, it's not about the trip, but there will be some, you know, some stories mixed in. Uh, I will say this, though, that this sermon is based on a question uh, that someone within our church family asked me who is, um, uh, actually, I think, courageous enough to say that he's wrestling with Christianity. Uh, and, and I love when people are, are that open. And you don't find it as much down here. Uh, but he said, okay, what is the end game of Christianity? So I had to title the sermon, not that there's much in titles, I'd say end game. But I, I really want y'all to think about that. For, for your life, for your faith, you're here, and you know, whether you, know, you were forced here, or you, know, as, you, know, you, know, you felt like you had to come here, or what's the end game? Or if you're a Christian, you're like, man, save, good deal. What's the end game? What is it? All right, let's, uh, let's read, and I'm going to read both passages And then we'll come back to them, okay? First one, Psalm 41, verse 1 through 4. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies, The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Now, I don't know how y'all read the Psalms. I like to try to read a Psalm a day. I actually read this Psalm uh, while I was in India. And and these couple verses really spoke to me. I think these couple verses are very packed, uh, very rich with a lot. We'll come back to it. Flip over, New Testament though, uh, Romans 8, uh, one of our, or at least my favorite chapters, and a famous passage, it ends. Verse 31, Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him... Graciously give us all things. 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. We'll come back to those passages. Uh, Again, the question, what's the end game? Uh, You say you're a Christian. You say, I'm saved. What's the end game? Is it just being saved? Uh, Is it then just living the best life possible? And then getting heaven. What is the end game? I I think the answer to that question depends a lot on how we uh, see the world. Uh, It's why we say in our values, we start with seeing a big God. Some of you may know that, others you may not. To see a big God working in every aspect of life. uh, From whether you are going to different nations or going to different neighbors. Whether you are... Uh, in agony over a child who is hurting, uh, whether you are having trouble with, with parents, uh, parents who may be ill, whatever we are dealing with, can we see a big God working in that situation? That then leads us, the other two values we have, to love the other person, we say. So seeing a big God leads to love the other person. And to go to the world, and so put those words together, just to play on words, but to see love go. But I think it also depends, and I was inspired in talking to Pastor Josh. We had dinner with he and his wife, Jenny. And a lot of folks in uh, Christian circles, pastors, um, they'll say, do you see horizontally or vertically? I'm just think about that. Horizontally, so like I can look across, you know, this is, you know, I mean, I was never good in geometry, but I think this, you know, horizontally is across the plane, right? Vertically, up, down. So don't you think about that. Do I see my life, everything around me, primarily, because we actually can do both, we should do both as Christians, but do I see primarily horizontally, or do I see vertically? And I think this is like really important. Because vertically, it's like us and God, our relationship with God. Is that first? Or is our relationship with other human beings first? You see what I'm saying? Because the vertical will lead to the horizontal, but the horizontal doesn't necessarily always lead to the vertical. Okay? And I think, 
I, I would say this. If you are not a Christian, the only way you see in the world is horizontal. Even for those who would say, well, you know, I'm the spiritual person and I'm really searching for God. You're really looking at life. And again, I'm going to use this word, horizontally. So things around you, you know, people, cities, homes, neighbors, you know, all, all of that. Most Christians, I would say. Me, I would say. Primarily, make the mistake, I would say, of primarily looking at life horizontally. What do they think of me? What's this relationship like here? Am I, what am I, I going to do about this person, this family relationship? You see what I'm saying? And that's the primary way of seeing the world. And we don't see vertically our relationship with God. And I think because of that mistake, use that word again, it leads to a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of comparison. Because if you're just looking horizontally and you're not basing your life on your relationship with God, on having a right right relationship with God in Jesus Christ, then you're just totally just going to always be comparing yourself. Well, I'm in business, but that guy has a better business. Well, I you know, want to find the, the perfect soulmate, which does not exist, by the way. Right, sweetie? Right? <laughs> yeah. Say that in love. No, no, no. I mean, it, what's that? Okay. I'll find out later. Anyway. But if you're just always looking, I mean, and not basing life on your relationship with God, which again, you know, mistake number uno for me. It can lead to a lot of comparison. Uh, it can lead to a lot of shame. It can lead to a lot of problems. So I want to go and I want to look at uh, three different ways we look horizontally and then turn them over and see how we can look at it vertically. The world, the church, and you. Okay, All the world, big, this church or another church, and then you, your life. So let's start with the world. How we can look horizontally. The world, we see a place we might like to visit. Different countries. We see all the needs of the world. We see the problems of the world. We see poor people. We see these things, and sometimes we might say, well, you know, I I really connect with that, and I'd love to go to Honduras. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. Or I don't really connect to uh, that place. Just use, for example, India. Or, you know, I really, I see all these needs for adoption in Poland. Moody's, you know. I'm called to that. I really connect with that. Uh, But, I don't really connect here, I don't connect there, and, you know, oh, those are people I could really, I could really gel with, I could connect with those folks, but I don't really connect here. And we can really put on a a set of lenses or glasses and see all the world like that. Well, I really like it here, had a good experience there, I don't really want to go there. Um, Oh, there's poor people there, they need help, I'll give money there. Oh, there's poor people here, I mean, it's just... I hope you're seeing this, looking at it horizontally. Oh, I connect with that person. I really don't connect with that person. Let me give you an example. So, like, I'm on, uh, I was talking to a brother here, you know, asking about the trip. Well, the flight from Dubai to Houston, which we were on, I'm getting tired thinking about it, but it was, uh, it was 16 hours. 16 hours, you know. Uh, you can do a lot in 16 hours. Um, and not sleep, unfortunately. Anyway, but so, you know, I'm going down uh, in economy class, okay? And uh, we were flying, I mean, 
Now, we're flying Emirates, which is a nice airline, and then I'm going down, you know, I'm just, you know, walking down that aisle, praying, you know, man, give me an empty seat, you know, beside me. Empty seat, Lord. Because I got, I, got I got an aisle on this side, so I'm good there. I mean, I consider myself, you know, a broad guy, and I'll make myself more broad sitting in an airplane to get some room. But anyway... So I got in my eye, I was like, you an empty seat. So I'm coming, and I'm like, counting, counting. I was like, oh, dude. <laughs> like, dude is there. Okay, now let me get, I, I like to go like base human nature sin here. So here's my thought. He's a brown brother. Okay? It's in my mind. Okay. Uh, I'm flying from Dubai. So we're going like Muslim here, you know? You know, Mr. Pastor guy. Is he going to smell real bad? Okay, base, I'm giving, I'm giving you base thoughts, okay? We're looking horizontally. Um, could he have some terrorist roots? I mean, I love homeland, you know? I mean, I, I can get all these ideas. I do. I got 16 hours with bro, you know? So we sit down, and then, like, Cherry and her brother, um, she sits way up there, and he, he sits beside me, but I'm like, Man, they don't have anybody but them. And her brother had the ILC now. I mean, I was like, dude. So then, so I'm sitting down, and there are a lot of empty seats. And I'm like, you know, there's an empty seat up there. <laughs> there's, you want a window seat? I mean, I tell this to the guy, you know, you can strike a deal here. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm good. It's his set. I mean, I can't, that's all I can do. So now, I'm going to come back to that guy, okay? But I'm giving you a, a base, root, thought, sin of looking horizontally, okay, of the world. I'm going to end it there, but I'm going to pick it back up. So that's the world. That is primarily my way of looking at the world, and I think it's primarily your way of looking at the world. Let's go to church. Let's go to this church or any church. How do you look at church? How do you look at any church? you just go horizontally, so across the board, think. Just some random thoughts question. Well, is that a cool church? Who goes there? Who doesn't go there? Um, do I like the style of the church? Uh, unfortunately, you know, do, do you like the style of the guy or the preacher? Or do you like the style of worship? Is it a nice, is it a nice church? Do I connect there? Uh, do I fit there? Are they nice there? Um, these are just, you know, examples. What's the, what's the preaching or teaching like there? Is it, uh, is it fun? Is it funny? Is it too hard? Is it too challenging? Is it challenging? Oh, he doesn't use enough Bible. He uses too much Bible. Look at it horizontally, Okay. And here's the thing, both of the world and here with the church. Guess what the center point in all that is? It's me. Or it's you. You're, you're the center. You're the center of, the, of my world and everything else, you know, goes out from there. I'll give you an example of this. We were having dinner our last night with Josh and Jenny, and we were talking about church stuff, talking shop. And he, they were very curious about, like, how, Particularly young people, or you know, the, the term millennials, which unfortunately I don't make that cut. You know, so I'm too old. Many of us don't make that cut, but 
Now you got some a group after the millennials, I guess. But like, well, how, you know, how are they dealing with all the cultural issues that, that we know and sometimes we'll talk about, you know. And they were talking about how they deal with them there too or different cultural issues. And, and we talked about how millennials and, uh, and if you're a millennial, I'm not trying to say this is how you think, but, but generally I do think this is true because I think this, but I'm not a millennial. They like authenticity, you know, just, just say it straight. Shoot it straight, you know, say, here's where I stand on this issue, here's where I stand on that issue. Don't try to, you know, just throw a lot of, uh, you know, color it up, make it pretty. Just say what you think about a particular issue. That's what they prefer. But then we're like, yes, but there are two big issues there. Most millennials, and this is true for this generation, okay? I mean, this is just throwing it there. They value... Most of all, freedom and independence. Okay? I totally believe that, and I value that. You know, I've, I've said this before. My parents' generation, they valued most, and some of you here, they valued being good, being a good person, living a right life. Now the generation, I want a free life. Don't tell me what to do. Be independent. And so the challenge, you know, for that generation is they want everything relative. Like, I may not agree with that way, or I may not agree with that, Style of living, but hey, if he or she wants to go there, man, that's their life. And, you know, if you ask to make a commitment to a group, to a body, to a church, oh man, that's a little, that's a little too much, you know. I want to keep my independence so, you know, I can still be totally free. And even if I fail, I, I still get to make the choice. Again, that is looking at the world. You're the sinner. And again, Horizontally, okay? Not vertically. Not like God orchestrated all things in your life. God created you. Uh, God made a covenant with you. God gives commands. We'll get to that in a minute. So you, let's go to you, or me, but the individual. And this is where I want to get to Scripture, okay? What's the point? What's the end game? What's, What's the meaning of life, you know? All those big questions. It's really simple. Be, it's really simple. The, the meaning, the point, the end game, all of life is having a right relationship with God. Period. From a, a biblical worldview, from a Christian worldview, that's it. And as a Christian, I think that's it. So you're like, well, what is it? Well, you're born separated from God. You're made in His image but you don't have a right relationship. I just, I just gave you an example. So like me, Mr. Pastor guy, some base sin, some indwelling sin that habitates in me that I could not control. First thought, brown guy. First at 16 hours, this guy. First thought, prejudice. Okay? So we're born into this wrong relationship, separated from God. So the point of life is having a right, vertical relationship with God. And that only happens, that only happens by Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross. That's, that's the point, that's the main thing, that's the end game. You want a right relationship with God, you put your trust and faith in Jesus. I can't do it on my own, I can preach and teach and I still have prejudiced thoughts. So I rely on the work of Christ on the cross... And what he has done for me. 
And I can live in that freedom and joy that God no longer judges me, will not punish me. I can stand before him. He loves me as his son. And I can live in joy. And my desire that is increasing, even with that sin, is to live a holier life and do good works. But it's from the inside out and not the other way. All right, Bible. What's interesting about these two passages, why I did two passages, because one, let me say it like this, it's from the out in, and the other is from the in out. Okay? Make it simple. The psalm passage, the writer of the psalm, David, track with me here, sees the world and it convicts him in his heart. And then in Paul, when he writes, his heart, what's going on in his heart, convicts him about the world. It's really interesting, but Psalm 41. See, it starts with, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Okay, they're poor people. Those who help the poor, the Lord takes care of. Simple. You go on, the Lord, the Lord protects him, keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. Verse 3, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Basically, that you help poor people, God's going to bless you. But then, verse 4 comes into play. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So let me be honest. I read this, and it, I mean, it just totally fascinated me because it didn't just stop with, oh, they're poor people and blessed. But, and there's a pause in the psalm, and then he's like, I have sinned against you. So to me, David, as he wrote this, he, he sees the needs, and he says to us and to people then, you know, you help poor people, you know, God's going God's to bless you. But, but something convicts him that something being wrong in the world, because when you see poor people, you're like, something's wrong in the world. I mean, people shouldn't live like that. I mean, some of the things that we saw, I mean, people, you know, I mean, just asleep on like side rails, and like, I mean, something's wrong with the world. And that convicts him inside to repent. You, you catch that? You get that? This is important. The brokenness of the world leads to the brokenness of one human heart. And he repents. He says, I have sinned against you from the outside in. And then, let's go to Paul, Romans 8. What's interesting about this, and I've, I've used Romans 8 a lot. Some famous verses. Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, we love that. I had my, that verse on my wall, you know, as a teenager. I didn't really live up to it. But anyway, I had it up there. You know, it made, me, made mom think I was good for, for sometimes. And then he goes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Man, we love being conquerors. We're going to conquer life, world. Cities, kingdom, we're conquerors through him who loved us. And then I'm sure, and I always read this, and I've had to do uh, funerals. First, I always read verse 38 when they're putting the coffin into the ground because that's the point of time where people feel the separation the most. The body, the casket's going into the ground. I always read verse 38 of Romans 8. Neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. We'll be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul here in Romans 8, he's going to the grandest, and I actually think this, 
Well, you could argue some passage in Ephesians. But Romans say that the highest height of the glory of God and the power and what he wants to do in the world and in your life. And then look in chapter 9. He says, verse 3, I wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. You know, I love the Bible because, I mean, you're 90 and you just hit the tip of the iceberg. And I I hope to see 90, but I read that. While I was in India, I was like, I've always loved Romans 8. And then Romans 9 is like, I wish I was cut off from Christ. Why? For the sake of my brothers. And I would say for the sake of my brothers and sisters. The, the heights of the power of God, the, 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 the peaks, bring Paul to the valley that there are people who are lost. They're people who don't have a right relationship with God. Now, he's talking here specifically about the Israelites. It could, it could be about any, anybody. That, that there are people who, are, who don't know the joy, who don't know the peace, who it's just an ongoing struggle to find, and we could call it happiness, but just contentment. And to me, I find that amazing. And, and you want to talk about vertical. That's where the change from horizontal to vertical. Because he went, he went high, and going high brought him low. Not in depression, but saying there are people out there that, that don't have this, that don't know Jesus, that, that are trying to earn it all their life, that are trying to work for it, that are trying to, to be good, that are trying to prove themselves over and over again, that always think they can't measure up, or always trying to measure up. And so that gives him, that changes the way he sees the world. It changes the way he sees people. And it should for us too. Let me read you a quote. Uh, I love this quote. Uh, I like to recommend books. So this is, this is a small, simple book. Do you hear what I just said? Small? See that? Is that thick? <laughs> Neil, you can see it. Not thick. Simple. Simple. It's called a gospel primer. Primer is a word for primary. Okay, and it's actually written for, it's not an old book, it's a, it's a dude, he looks young, he pastors church in California, so I guess he's cool. Anyway, he, uh, I mean, you know, and uh, he's got four kids, young guy, but a gospel primer. I may, I may buy just books to pick up, but anyway, it's, uh, there's a part of this he wrote, my manifesto, but he wrote on boldness. And I wrote this, I, it, it inspired me so much, I, I, I did the quote in uh, Facebook, but not everybody reads it, and Y'all probably don't read what I write anyway. So anyway, let me read it to you. Boldness is critical. Without boldness, my life story will be one of great deeds left undone. Victories left unwon. Petitions left unprayed. And timely words unsaid. If I wish to live only a pathetically small portion of the life God has prepared for me, then I need no boldness. But if I want my life to bloom full and loom large for the glory of God, then I must have boldness. And nothing so nourishes boldness in me like the gospel. I'll end there. Amen. What is the gospel? It is critical. It ended with like the gospel. What is the gospel? I said that a few minutes back. A right relationship with God. We can't earn it. 
God gave it to us in Jesus on the cross. It is amazing grace that the slave trader, John Newton, wrote, who saw slaves killed, who had slaves killed, and then wrote the words to amazing grace. That is the gospel. So, vertically, how how does it change the way we see your life, your church, God's world? How does it change the way we see? Let's start real quick with church. If you start thinking vertically first about your relationship with God, we all think horizontally, we should think horizontally, but primarily. Then you look at churches, the preaching and teaching is vital. Is it helping my relationship with God? Is it leading others to a right relationship with God? Uh, Is there joy in worship? Is there real community? Uh, Will people convict me and also challenge me and also inspire me and also help me laugh and cry with me? Is Is it real and is it authentic? When we look vertically, it does cause us, like Paul in Romans, that to look horizontally. Do we invite people to have a larger church? Brothers, to see a bigger church? Or do we invite people like, man, I want them to see a big God? It's all based on our relationship with God. A couple of examples. You know, I've heard it said about this church. You know, I hear, I hear a lot about this church. Some things I don't hear. I hear a fair bit, though. You know, I've heard somebody said in the congregation, you know, man, I don't know. You, you know, you, you talk about Jackson a lot, and, you know, it may, it may ruffle some folks. I've heard, you know, I don't know about that church. I mean, they're so focused on global missions that, you know, not local. And Yeah, I mean, detractors will be detractors, and the king will always be the king. And the way I look at it is because he is king and our relationship with him, we, we go everywhere. Um, yes, this corner and a school and a neighborhood, and yes, to nations, neighbors and nations. I've, I've heard it said um, I'll quote Barbie Grace. Barbie Grace. Barbie, Barbie Grace. She's, she's taking care of her grandchild. Uh, she said, hey, you know, I, oh, I love coming to church when you get back from mission trip because, like, you're so fired up. And, you know, I love you, Miss Barbie. But I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that because, you know, one, I don't want to be just like that on one Sunday or a couple of Sundays. I mean, I want to be fired up. But it didn't make me think, well, maybe... Maybe I'm not fired up, Miss Barbie. Maybe you're fired up. And maybe you're fired up. Because, like, you see a little glimpse of a big God, what God could do. I do think that's true. And maybe you see, like, man, that could, maybe there's more for me. Maybe God has more for me in, in this time that I have. And so, and then we get to the world. Again, we all view it horizontally, but if you start vertically, then every moment, every relationship, every trip, every exchange has a purpose, has a meaning. Every conversation, God is using you. God will use you. Whether you go to a neighbor or a nation, because the world is your neighbor too. And so if we start vertically, then it's like, God, there is more for you in the gospel. You know, some examples for y'all. Y'all, y'all saw some photos, okay? 
You know, if you want, I want you to think, there might be more for me. You saw some pictures of India. You know, we have this continual, habitual um, invitation. The pastor said, man, we'd love for you all to come. Next time, he wants to take us to a leper colony. And I'm going. And by the way, you can't uh, get leprosy. And I, I actually, you know, I thought that. He said, I want to take you to one of the pastors you support that's on an island off the coast of Calcutta where, you know, the gospel is not being heard. I'm there, okay? Uh, A ministry center in the Arabian Peninsula for other groups to come be important. We have that relationship. We have that open door. You know, people ask, well, I mean, how'd you go here, go there? And God just opened the door. I'm going to go. And that's kind of my bottom line. Uh. Italy. We have this great relationship in Italy. Some of you are like, hey, I'm here. Okay, I'll go. Uh, Thanksgiving week, we're thinking, praying about ministering to refugees in northeastern Italy. Honduras, you've heard about that. We'll hear it about it again. But let's go local. Easter egg hunt. You don't have to go anywhere. You know, just want that to be part of the neighborhood. That this, this church is integrated into the life of a city that, that could bless a community. Uh, a school, you know, mentoring, serving, tutoring, a school. Being a coach. Yeah, my greatest battles and struggles, you know, it's, it's not with the Brown brother you know, on the plane. It's with some other baseball coaches in Northeast Jackson Youth League. Real deal. For real. For real. Praying through that. But it's an opportunity for God to, for God to use me. Or to others to see God. And I'm going to take that up. I'm going to go through that door. Last thing I would say uh, in closing. Well. Real quick. End game. What's the end game? What's your end game? Here's the end game. Try to help you visualize it. Uh, I love like. uh, I, I love adventure tales. I just always have. I mean grew up. Treasure Island, stuff like that. Just, just love it. Love adventure tales, stories, knights, armor, all that stuff. Love it. And when a knight would give their life to the king, they would kneel, and they would place the sword on the ground and say, to you, I give you know, my life, my allegiance, you know, from here on. And the end game... For me, but I think this is the end game. Ephesians 6, this is called the sword of the Spirit. Paul calls us all soldiers, if you're a Christian. And this is the sword of the Spirit. And then he says, pray in the Spirit, which is interesting. The sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit. The end game is kneeling. A kneel is required. You're not king. I'm not king. And I don't do this much, but I've never done I don't think I've ever done this. Put the Bible on the ground. But you lay your sword and you kneel to the king. You say, I lay my sword that you have given me. And I will do all I can to learn how to wield it, yield it, and use it for your kingdom. And until I meet you, In the fullness, I give my life to you, King, King Jesus. 
that is the end game. He is not just your savior. He's your king. And you have to kneel. And then, as you serve him, he will send you. There's a scene from a, I'll make you guess. It's, I'm not even going to say movie or TV show. But there's a scene in an adventure story I like. And there's a young girl who is lost. And I have a heart for young girls. I want a girl. Told her that. <laughs> She's like, Stop. And she's lost, but she loves adventure, and she has her sword. She has a sword. And she's trying to find a home, and she gets passageway on a ship, and she boards the ship. And I, I just love this scene, and, you know, just visually. I wish I could show it to you, but then you know the whatever. But the ship sails out of the harbor, and she walks to, you know, very, I don't know the word, the point of the ship. She's got her sword and she's just looking out at the horizon and the sea and that adventure. And I think that's part two of the end game. If part one is the kneeling, part two is sword at your buckle, at your belt, and God will send you. And it is an adventure and it is breathtaking and you are going out and all of you have this, have this vessel, God's vessel you can get upon, and you can go. And you don't have to go to India or anywhere else, just go out the store. But you kneel first, and you commit to serve first, and then he's going to send you, and it's awesome. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we kneel, may we bow, may we give our sword, may we lay it at your feet. And follow where you send. In Jesus' name, amen.